Welcome to Cool Explorations, I'm your host Tony Peters. Today we're going to be taking a look at Acts chapter 10, 30 through 45, and it's going to be another segment from the Gospel of Redemption and, Rede uh, and Restoration Story uh, by Mike O'Dowd, and uh, this particular one is going to be about learning to be impartial and still proclaiming the full gospel. Uh, and let's face it, none of us are perfect, we all sin, as a result, we all face the consequences of our actions. That means we all face death and an eternity in hell. Thankfully, that isn't where our story ends. God presents a way for us to have eternity in heaven with him. Uh, and he sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to set us free. In order to receive this, though, we must face the fact that we are all sinners and that we are, in fact, responsible for Jesus' death. God creates everything, and it is all very good. But his adversary, Satan, corrupts everything by successfully tempting humanity to rebel against God's will. God immediately begins to reveal his plan to overcome Satan with his promise that he will bring a man into the world who will reverse the curse of corruption brought on by our rebellion. He will redeem the created universe held in bondage to this corruption, and he will redeem created humanity held in bondage to the corrupting power of sin. As we saw through the Old Testament portion of this story, this deliverer was progressively revealed to be the Messiah, the descendant of Abraham and David, who would ultimately accomplish every necessary and mighty work to bring his redemption to pass for all eternity not only for God's people, Israel, but for all the creations and nations on the earth. And at the climax of this story, the Messiah's mighty works were fulfilled in very short historical order. His miraculous birth, sinless life, powerful ministry, atoning death, death-conquering resurrection, glorifying ascension, and the Holy Spirit-powered creation of a new humanity his church, his first wave of an invasion from heaven, which will ultimately destroy every power opposed to God and will restore his creation forever to a very good state. With the previous chapter and segments we've done before this, we take a look and we can see God's work through his church in the age, the final age, before Christ returns to usher in the age to come. And so, as a preview to the rest of the story, beginning with this segment here, and then the next chapter to come, where we're going to take a look at 1 Thessalonians 4, of Christ's return to resurrect the church. And the remainder of this story will focus on how God brings his redemption and restoration story to us and to its forever new and forever eternal good state that is the conclusion we have to look for in acts 10 30 to 45 we see a pattern thoroughly repeated in scripture in the previous chapter god effectively brought the gospel through peter to the jew first and in accordance with his practice and prophetic promise god now effectively brings his gospel through Peter to the Gentiles, paving the way for the church 
to become the new humanity Paul writes of in Ephesians 2. Through Peter's faithful response to God's leading, the mystery of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is revealed to be an impartial salvation to all who believe, both Jew and Gentile, in the new community of God's people, at peace with God and one another through faith in Christ, sometimes referred to as the Gentile Pentecost. Acts 10 records Peter's mission to the Roman centurion Cornelius, all at the very intentional direction that God, um, that God has, and he uses Peter to answer Cornelius's prayer, provide for Cornelius's need, and confirm Cornelius's faith in a way that should apply to and instruct each of us. God worked through a perfect messenger, or worked not through a perfect messenger, but through a faithful message. God created everything, and he said it was good. This is the intended state of humanity, to be good. He will restore that state in the end, where everything will be good and perfect. Jesus Christ is the way to restore God's creation to its intended state. We must choose to follow Christ and to share his love with those around us. Cornelius, like us, was flawed, but God overcame his flawed nature. Cornelius chose to follow Jesus. He was a Gentile, so Peter was hesitant to go see him. But God intervened to show Peter that he should go see Cornelius anyways. Through this act, we saw the pattern of to the Jew first and then the Gentile. As with the previous chapter, Acts 10, 30-45 is actually part of a much longer narrative that runs from Acts 10, 1 through 11, 18. In fact, this narrative about the Gentile Pentecost is the longest narrative in Acts, which gives us a sense of the importance of the occasion to which God, not only by its length, but also through the vivid way in which it reveals God moving in every detail to bring Gentile inclusion into the church to pass. In verse 2 of Acts 10, Luke describes Cornelius as a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, prayed continually to God. Cornelius was a man who had become who had become a, a servant of God, and he came to know the God of Israel. He sought to honor him with his life, and did so to the point of notable testimony amongst the Jews. As Luke records in verse 22 of chapter 10, if God's people rightly regarded Cornelius well, then we should not be surprised by the fact that God faithfully responds to those who sincerely seek him. Cornelius prayed continually to God, and in verses 30 to 31, he recalls to Peter that God revealed himself during his prayer time through a heavenly messenger, telling Cornelius that his prayers were heard by God and his gifts to God's work remembered. In a marvelous insight into the work of God's grace and a person's response to it, Cornelius was responding to his knowledge of God. 
in a meaningful way that reflects sincere faith. While God is taking the initiative to bring the substance of Cornelius' faith to its full fruition, to accomplish this work in Cornelius' life, God faithfully moved in those who sincerely served him. Sincerity is important, but it can often be accompanied by flaws, as was the case with Peter, whom God commanded Cornelius to send for in verse 32. We all have our flaws, and Peter is no exception. And God moved in his servant to overcome his inhibitions. In verse 33, Peter responds to Cornelius' request to come. Cornelius says to Peter, So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Whatever Cornelius had been specifically praying for, it's evident that he and the household, full of guests he had invited, were expecting a particular message the Lord commanded Peter to bring. And although Cornelius commanded Peter as being kind enough to come, Peter's coming had to overcome the obstacle of his inhibitions. In verses 28 and 29, after he had heard or entered Cornelius' home, Peter expressed a concern about how forbidden it had always been in his Jewish culture to associate with a Gentile, but that God had overcome Peter's cultural objections. If you go back and read verses 9 through 21 of chapter 10, you'll see that God did this by commanding Peter through a vision and in the midst of his hunger to take and eat unclean animals. God did this with Peter three times, and in each instance, Peter objected to the command, leading God to admonish Peter by saying, What God has made clean do not call common. This was immediately followed by the arrival of the Gentile soldiers Cornelius had sent to bring Peter to see him, prompting the Holy Spirit to command Peter in verse 20 to rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter gets the point of the vision and the Spirit's command. God has made clean the Gentiles whom Peter and his fellow Jews construed to be unclean. Get with the program. Get up and go. It's okay to associate with the Gentiles. Peter's inhibitions were, were overcome, but his misconceptions about God's intentions towards the Gentiles are still fully in place. Therefore, God moved in his servant to overcome his misconceptions. It's pretty telling in verse 29 when, after entering Cornelius' house and explained to Cornelius how God had changed his convictions above uh, or about associating with Gentiles, Peter then tells Cornelius, So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Peter is now cool with being in a Gentile's house, but he still has no idea why God would want Cornelius to send for him. But after Cornelius explains that he and his household are there to hear Peter share with them all the Lord has commanded, Peter, the light... For Peter, the light bulb comes on. 
Luke writes in verse 34, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Peter then concludes that God truly accepts all people who fear him and do what is acceptable to him. At Pentecost, God worked through Peter to proclaim the gospel so God's people, Israel, in Jerusalem, giving birth to the church. Here in Acts 10, God enlightens Peter and leads him to once again proclaim the gospel, this time to a Gentile audience, opening the door for every family, tribe, tongue, and nation to join faithful Jews in God's family, God's church. And so, with Peter's inhibitions and misconceptions overcome, the door to the gospel has opened. Through his faithfulness to the gospel, and to the task of being a witness. And Peter was faithful. Not perfect, but faithful. Throughout the scriptures, God calls his people to be faithful by doing things we are both able and commanded to do, so that he can do in and through us things which are impossible for us to do. As James so thoroughly teaches in his epistle, genuine faith is accompanied by the actions which reflect genuine faith. And so, with Peter, we see that God's faithful messenger heeded God's command to preach and testify about Jesus. Remember in verse 33, Cornelius expected Peter to share what God had commanded him to share. In verse 42, in the midst of preaching his message to Cornelius' household, Peter confirms that obedience is what is driving him. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and of the dead. We're going to see some remarkable results in the response to Peter's message in a, in a moment. Uh, Peter uh, as a result of this, can't possibly produce. But Peter is simply doing what he's commanded to do, and that is proclaiming a message. Both he and we are more than able to proclaim. But how Peter goes about proclaiming the message offers much for us to learn from, particularly that a faithful message about Jesus is a complete message about Jesus. Peter brings a very full gospel message. So let's briefly walk through the elements of it. Beginning in verse 36, where Peter tells Cornelius that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is the Lord of the Jews, Lord of the Gentiles, Lord of every created being in the universe, and Lord over the universe. As Paul says in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, for all things were created through him and for him. As the scriptures teach, Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. And as the man, Jesus Christ, Jesus lived a life filled with God's presence and power. Peter describes this in verse 37 and 38, and as discussed in the previous chapter, as the Christ, Jesus accomplished 
all of the mighty works foretold of the Christ in the Old Testament. These works in their entirety testified to the status of Jesus as Christ and accomplished every necessary act to bring salvation to the world to include the fact that Jesus suffered the curse of death. In verse 39, Peter says of Jesus, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Referring to Jesus' crucifixion, in this way communicated that Jesus was accursed in his death, reflecting the truth that Christ made himself the object of God's wrath in our stead. He became the object of God's judgment for our sin, taking our death and judgment upon himself, a necessary work of the Christ for our salvation. But because he is both Christ and Lord, death did not have the power to hold him. As Peter declares in verses 40 and 41, Jesus was resurrected according to the testimony of faithful witnesses. Peter testifies to Cornelius in these verses that Christ was raised on the third day after his crucifixion and that ample faithful witnesses attest to his bodily resurrection. He ate and drank, as Peter says in verse 41, and so, just as Jesus suffered our death and judgment in our place, through his resurrection, we will also be raised into the likeness of Jesus' eternal resurrected human life, a future promise of God. We enter into the moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus, and we're invited by God to do so, because as Peter shares in verse 42, Jesus will exercise the final judgment over all humanity. As John 3.16 and 18 teach, whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he, is not, he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. To place your faith and trust in Jesus is to be delivered from the finality of death and judgment. But the sobering thought in John 3:16 and 18 is that rejecting him places us in a position of being condemned already. And that's the part of John 3:16 that people often ignore. They read John 3:16 but not the verses after it. This message was likely very clearly sinking in for Cornelius and his household. But the point that moved his audience to faith may well have been the last point Peter made in his message. The judgment of Jesus will be forgiveness for all who believe in him. In verse 43, uh, Peter says to Cornelius, his household and everyone reading this chapter today, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of the sins through his name. This point was made, or may have been, the clincher that moved Peter's audience to respond, because verse 44 states that their response began while Peter was still saying these things. Imagine a service on a Sunday where the, as the gospel is being proclaimed, in the mid-message, people begin publicly responding to the gospel. This happened to Peter in an unmistakable way. God sees our needs, and he provides for those needs. Cornelius needed Peter to come, and to share Christ's love with him. 
Peter was a faithful servant of God. God called to him to go, and he went. Peter shared the full message of the gospel, holding nothing back. This is an example that we must follow. God calls, and we should go. We need to be willing servants of God and be willing to share the gospel whenever and wherever God calls us. God provides us the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us accomplish God's will. Begin, uh, beginning in prayer, then Bible study, and fellowship with other believers, they're all important in being in tune with the Holy Spirit's guidance. Verses 44 and 45 show that the Gentile response to Peter's message was very much like the response on Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This outpouring of the Spirit into the life of the believer, as the scripture teaches, gives us rebirth as new creations of God in Christ and serves as God's guarantee that our future resurrection to eternal life is as good as done. So with our study of both Peter's Pentecost sermons complete, let's conclude by briefly considering one more time how this applies to the church today. What does it mean to be impartial? For Peter, it meant losing his inhibitions toward associating with non-Jews. For us, it could be the same or perhaps may entail abandoning our prejudices. As mentioned earlier, Peter's sermon in Acts 10 sits within a larger passage which ends at Acts 11.18. Interestingly, immediately after Peter opens the door of the church to the non-Jews, Luke describes the church in Antioch, which was the first church to put Jew-Gentile integration into practice. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians, 1126. Uh, according to Christ's design for the church, we merit the title Christian. When his church reflects the God-given ways, he created us differently, serving him together in unity and peace as a testimony to the world. The world can't pull this off without hostilities present and we draw the diversity of his created humanity to the church through the faithful proclamation of the gospel that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And a true gospel is a full gospel. Therefore, proclaim the full gospel. Peter gives us a great model to follow. Who is Jesus? Fully God and fully man. He is Lord of all, and he is the Christ the man who accomplished every necessary work for our salvation as foretold in the Old Testament. The most notable of these are the death he suffered on our behalf, making himself the object of God's wrath and judgment for our sin. His resurrection, which makes God's future promise that we will also be raised into him and into the likeness of Jesus' eternal resurrected human life a reality the moment we place our faith in jesus and we trust in him jesus will exercise the final judgment over all humanity but the good news for those who by faith embrace his good news 
message uh, of salvation is that the judgment of Jesus will be forgiveness for all who believe in him. Rather than an eternity of torment and ruin under his judgment, that those who go to the grave rejecting him are condemned to suffer. A watered-down gospel will result in a watered-down church as witnesses to the world of God's message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. God calls every church that faithfully confesses and follows Jesus Christ to know the full gospel message and to proclaim the full gospel message. We cannot shy away from speaking the full truth of the gospel. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God and came down to become fully man so that we could save, uh, he could save us from our sinful nature. This is the message we must share. We cannot water down our message. We are all guilty of sin. We all deserve an eternity in hell, yet God does not wish that any should perish, but that we should all have eternal life with him in heaven. God is our King, and Jesus sits at his right hand. Thank you for listening to Cool Explorations. I hope you've enjoyed this segment from Mike O'Dowd's book, The Gospels, A Redemption and Restoration Story. Uh, We need to learn to follow God wherever he leads us. Uh, In order to do that, we must admit all of our faults and admit responsibility for our actions. We must admit that we need God and pray that God will give us the confidence and knowledge to share his love and the truth of the gospel. Don't water down God's word and what he has to say through the Bible. Many people feel the Bible is offensive. Anything that brings our faults to the forefront is going to be offensive. Accept the accusation and repent of your sins and share the message with the world. If you would like to reach me for any reason, you can do so at tpeters745 at gmail.com.